to the Blue Roads Changemaker Podcast. I'm Patty Talbot, CEO and co-founder of Blue Roads Education Group. In this series, you'll hear reflections about what it means to be a homegrown changemaker. We focus interviews around the Blue Roads mantra, homegrown solutions for a patchwork world. Our guests are amazing changemakers, solutionaries, and social innovators who've taken the path from local citizen to global changemaker and or from global citizen to local changemaker by working to change the system that creates the world's most challenging issues close to home and around the globe. I ask participants to tell us about their origins, how they've engaged with others different from themselves, how they work to create solutions, and how they've used these experiences to make the leap to changemakers addressing the UN Sustainable Development Goals. As their host, I try hard to take myself out of the conversation as much as possible so you won't notice the typical back and forth of the interview process. I hope this will help you to hear their stories as a complete narrative that addresses all four quadrants of the Blue Roads Changemaker Journey, Homegrown Solutions for a Patchwork World. Welcome back. This is part two of a two-part series featuring educator Angela Clevenger from Pulaski County, Virginia. You'll remember we left off after she talked about her homegrown roots as the daughter of a Klansman who changed her loyalties in her fifth grade year where she was inspired and motivated by her African-American teacher, Mr. John Hawker. She grew up to be a teacher herself, working for equity and active in her local and state education associations. We'll pick up here for part two, where she talks about her patchwork and her take on what it means to be a changemaker. Let me get back to advocacy. That advocacy has bled through uh, in my personal life as well, uh, in the form of art, uh, poetry, in the form of attending protests. And and just being vocal, speaking up when somebody sends an email, and this has happened uh, in my life, a teacher sent an email that said something about stamps, and and she put the whole Muslim religion, and it was like supporting Al-Qaeda. You know, I, I sent back an answer to everyone because that went out to everyone. You know, we have Islamic children in our school, and the actions of a few should not make us feel hatred or prejudice against people of the uh, Muslim faith. And I find the female to be, to be derogatory. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I worded it nicely and I sent it out and I got called into the principal's office. And I remember saying the problem isn't that somebody shared something. The problem is, is that when I spoke up about it, now I'm in trouble. I said, unless we speak up, but then I realized I wasn't dealing with somebody who valued that diversity. I just think there needs to be more love in the world. I mean, a teacher loves you and teaches you how to do better. I think that's why I think schools are a safe place and should be. Should be a place, you know, that schools should be a place where you you feel love and you feel support and you have access to resources to make you better academically, but emotionally and socially. And, and that's a tall order. And before there were all these labels about trauma-informed care or anything, it was happening in Tulaski County public schools 
way back in the 80s. And I think it still happens. It still happens. I don't think anybody ever gets anywhere without the help of others. I talk somewhat about my relationship with Mr. Hawker that um, led me to try to have more interactions with people who, who were different than me school and, and just being very inquisitive and asking about people's experience. When I was asked to do this, I've always said that the, it's the stories that will unite us. When we are having our Black Lives Movement, which I'm a part of, but can't even fathom, and this comes again from the white privilege, I do not have the worries and the same experiences happening to me. But as a fellow human being, I can be supportive, I can be kind, I can show love, and I can get involved politically. I think that conversation has to happen. I started noticing that in college, I had not been involved with the LBGTQ community. And in college, I found myself interacting with a lot of people and, and later finding out. And I think that's probably been the best part of the strides in that movement is realizing that the neighbor, you know, that you've been friends with for 20 years, you know, happens to be gay. And then you have to think, well, you know, I like, I like Bob. Bob's a good guy. And then you hear the stories. Nobody should have to try to be something they're not or somebody they're not to please anyone else. The act of existing has no bearing on my happiness either way. I mean, it, it gets me that this is that this is an issue. I have not had the experience because I've taught elementary school of working with any students that are LGBTQ. But I do have a daughter who identifies as bisexual. And I've been, she's, her friends who some are also LG, a part of the LGBT community have found me to be someone that they can trust. And now as I go into the role of teaching at the high school as a reading specialist, I know that I need to be aware um, of the community and thoughts and feelings. But, you know, if we lump a whole community together and say this is true of a whole community, we're still not doing our work. And I think our work is to listen to the stories and make the relationship strong. One of the things about a relationship is that, or, or the difference between an acquaintance and being uh, emotionally involved, and, and you have to be emotionally involved for it to really be a relationship, you know, some kind of exchange of information and some kind of exchange of emotion and feelings has to happen for you to be really invested into a relationship. I think that's the very definition of what a relationship is. And I think that that's what has to happen with everyone that we claim to care about. And my plans for, you know, people say, well, you've never worked with any high school students, but I've worked with human beings. I know human beings enjoy a couple of things, and they enjoy being cared for. They enjoy them, somebody asking them their story. I know I enjoy that. I want somebody to be invested. And the difference is, am I sympathetic towards you? Sympathetic means you just exist. The climate of our world right now I would take some sympathy over some of the things I've seen. But one of the things when I 
taught about poverty to my peers was that it's simply not enough if there is an issue to be sympathetic. To be empathetic means that you invest. And when you invest, then you become part of the solution. You become a part of the we. You know, you don't have to be LGBT community to be empathetic and part of the we and help make the change. And you you can't change your race, but you can still be a part of the we. You can say, I am an ally. I am here. I am listening. And you have to be open, too, for somebody to challenge your thought processes. I have seen over the last few weeks that I have continued my journey. As I learn more and more, my eyes have been opened at the depth of the racism that is is here. In my, I mean, it wasn't affecting me personally, so how would I know? But now that I know, I can do better. I can be a part of the solution. Part of the human right, when I said I was part of the Civil Rights and Human Rights on Resolutions, it talked about these very issues. And I remember that we sometimes would spend hours debating, should we use the word Native American, Native peoples, or Indigenous people? And there were some among us that were like, I'll just put anything, I'm so tired. But words matter. Words matter so much. And they and that adage of, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. No, that's not true. I can remember I like to mix my food. I think it's just because we never had any. You just ate stuff, you know, the way the way I ate as a child was not and it really wasn't gonna hurt anything if it touched. It wasn't like it was not cuisine or anything like that. I had gotten to the point that there were some things I like to mix on my tray and still do. I became self-conscious. I am a 45-year-old woman who can still remember two or three kids picking on me because I'd mixed my food. And then at that point, it was kind of like I was mixing stuff that I didn't even like because it made me so angry. I was like, it's on my plate. Why does it matter? <laughs> That's a little transgression, but In that case, sympathy could have been just to let that happen and not bring attention to it. And a lot of us are very good at sympathy. As probably, sympathy is probably what causes people to look out their window and see abuse or watch it happen to somebody on the sidelines. And they may feel ghastly about it. They may feel, you know, wow, that's awful that that happened. Empathy is stop that. That's somebody's child. Stop that. That's a big issue. But in a classroom, it's a big issue too, because those are little B people who are depending on you. And I don't even care if they're ninth and tenth, eleventh, twelfth. They're little B people. They are somebody's child. And when you start thinking about how somebody is treated in a classroom or in life, and you think about you give that person the persona of your most valued person on earth. And if you're a mother, it's usually your children. And you think to yourself, and even if it's come out of your mouth, would I want my child spoken to in that way? Would I have wanted my child treated that way? 
you will never forget what it's like to have that person as a child. Well, everybody, here's the deal. Everybody's somebody's child. And we just can't treat people that way. It is unkind. It is hurtful. And you gain nothing. And if I can teach children that, then I've done something with my life. Now, everybody's like, what would you want? You know, there's some assignment I had to do as part of that, uh, some administrative assignment when you did, what do you want to be remembered for and what are your goals? In 1975, I was born onto the planet. And I've done some reading on history and things weren't great. I don't think any time you come in, it's been great. But right here in this little section of the world in Pulaski County, in this little school system here, I can make this little section good. I I can make it better, not, not cure it, not fix it. But I can make it better. I hope that's said, you know. <laughs> when it's all said and done. Here lies Angie. And she made Pulaski and the children in Pulaski and the world through her work a little better. You got people in your life that help you, but that everything that happens and the choices you make do have a ripple effect. So that getting up in the morning and saying, what am I going to do today to help? Because in every moment, I feel like you have a, a choice to do something that helps the situation or makes the situation worse. It's very few times that your actions have no effect, that they're just neutral. I think back that conference at one moment during the conference with Mr. Hawker and my father and him treating my father with such respect, knowing my father's background, that was one of those touchstone moments in my life and because that happened there's been this ripple effect in my life and after teaching for 20 years I hope in other people's lives because that's what I do every day I was called and born to be a teacher leadership is still a teacher role if you embrace true leadership There is no teacher without learning. I've written many pieces. I've tried to use social media as a platform to talk about issues that I feel strongly about. Everything that we do as educators has no way but to make a ripple effect. So every day in your pedagogical practice and every day in your relationship building, And the things that you do daily in your classroom, somebody will be talking about it at a dinner table 20 or 30 years after you're dead. Now, that conversation has a lot to do with how you treat others and what you dedicate your life to. Because if you go around and you really feel like it's just a job and you have no passion for it and you're just going through the motions, Children can spot BS quicker than anyone. They know if you're genuinely invested in them. And invested means that you sometimes go home with tears in your eyes because you can't figure out the best thing to do. Invested means the kid that you found out was being abused 
or doesn't have parents at home may not be eating right, it means that when you go sleep at night, you think about them. It means that you spend time outside of your school work day researching best practices because when it comes down to it, you are a first responder. You are making decisions that will impact that child's life all the way through. And I am everything I am because of one conference and one man. Because maybe that epiphany would have happened, but maybe it wouldn't have. Maybe that was the moment I had to have so that I could continue to grow, not academically so much, but I stopped being in fight, wasn't in trouble anymore. I believed I could be smart, even though I'm K through four, I had some D's and I had some C's and I felt like I was struggling. But Mr. Hawker saw that there was something here and he made me believe that I could be smart and that I was smart and that I could do it where I didn't think. I thought all these kids that wore the nice clothes and all the kids who had the married parents and the drunks for dads and I thought, well, those are the people who make A's. And unfortunately, a lot of the times they are. But there are so many beautiful minds out there that we have not even begun to tap into. And I think the reason we are starved of their knowledge or denied their knowledge is because before you can open the brain, you have to open the heart. You can't function just on saying, I'm going to teach these kids these SOLs. Good for you. You can deliver content. My computer can do that. The documentary I watch on YouTube can do that. But that opens someone's heart where they often don't. It's not about getting them to love somebody else. It's about getting them to love themselves. That is a transformation that has to happen. One doesn't stop abusing drugs or stop being a racist or or grow in any capacity until they open that heart and have a relationship with someone that makes them feel like they're worthy of love and they love themselves and because I love myself I'm going to you know I'm going to try to be a better person I'm going to do better things but it, that work happens from within a lot and and talking about the ripple effect and I think you know I'm not a big thing a proponent of a self-help book I uh, that's not how this kind of stuff does it. And it's hard work and it's hard work. And sometimes that self-reflection makes you realize, hey, there's some things I need to work on. And that's where you need somebody to help you do that. It's not that people are innately bad. People are beautiful. It's just sometimes they're like tarnished silver and you have to help them shine up a little bit. One of the things I, I wrote about in one of my um, classes was uh, learning hubs in Section 8 housing. And I've had the opportunity to share that idea with many people. Uh, I did it with the PDC, which is a commission that works with local businesses. I have not gotten any takers yet, but basically it takes an apartment building that's three bedrooms in a Section 8 housing unit. And I'm thinking Washington Square because that's where my mother lived while I was growing up. And I remember walking for miles to the library to print out papers and 
because I wanted to do well. And uh, it would have been nice to have a computer lab at Washington Square, and that could be the living room. And I have an idea for one of the rooms to be a playroom with lots of books. They have walk-in closet in one of the master bedrooms, and that could be where there's work clothes or professional-looking clothes for people on interviews. We could also have a room that has freezers and places to store food because if you live in a Section 8 house, their refrigerators are literally this big. So when the food goes on sale at, at Food Line and things like that, you might stock up some. But you can't stock up a lot because you don't have any place to store it. So there's a way that that could be tagged. And people who work in the apartment complex could help run that. And GED classes could happen at night. And Robert University students who are going into education and need hours could come and tutor in the evenings for homework. Snacks could be made available because we know that children learn best when they're not hungry. I see projects such as that, hopefully, in my future. because. My mother didn't read a lot of my stuff that I wrote. I mean, you know, who wants to really see the school improvement plan comparison of two schools if you're not into that thing? I think it's wonderful. But but I shared this idea with my mom. And I even came up with ideas about how to fund it and who we do those partnerships with. And my mother had tears coming down her eyes. And that's when I realized it was full circle. And that if I can be... To some child, what everybody that invested in me was to me, then I know I can. And even if it's just one, you've heard that dark fish, you know, and they will why you keep throwing them back in? There's no way you can save them all. That's okay. I saved that one. And if I can, if I can do that, I'm doing well. But I'm not, I, I was very, I was very shocked to be asked to do this because I've seen some of the people you were interviewing. And they seem very prestigious. And uh, I kept thinking, why in the world is she going to interview me? You know, a little girl from Southwest Virginia who who happens to like learning. And, and uh, I didn't do anything special. This is not a story of me doing something special. This is a story about a whole school system uh, who came in contact with me doing very special things. And I am just the ripple. I am not. I am not the pebble, but I hope to become the pebble. I hope to become the pebble for someone else. I just, I just won the lottery when it came to relationships and people who cared about me. But I'm, I, I'm just stealing all. I'm like, why? Because my husband goes, "What are you interviewing for? Are you interviewing for a job?" And I said, "No, I got a job." I, I said, "She thinks I'm a change maker in education." He said, well, you are involved in a lot of stuff and you do seem to care a lot about the kids. But I look around and you could have you could have done a whole series of just Pulaski County folks because they're everywhere. Thank you, Angie. As you've heard, like most changemakers I know, Angie doesn't claim the title for herself. Nevertheless, when you consider the University of Northampton's definition of the word, anyone who sees a social or environmental problem and has the skills and grit to do something about it, it is quite clear Angie fits the bill. She's working on United Nations Global Goal Number 4, Quality Education, and Number 10, Reduced Inequalities for Certain. 
If you look closely at her story, you'll also see a commitment to others as well, like number one, no poverty, number two, zero hunger, number three, good health and well-being, and number five, gender equality. These all come to mind. What about you? Can you see other work toward the sustainable development goals in Angie's story? And what about your own? If you're interested in learning more about what it takes to be a changemaker like Angie Clevenger, I invite you to check out our course, Changemaker You, to learn more about how to cultivate the changemaker in yourself and those around you. You can find the link to learn more in the written version of this conversation with Angie Clevenger, available at www.blueroadseducation.org slash blog. Thanks for tuning in to the Blue Roads Changemaker podcast. We hope you'll follow our work and learn more about how you can get involved and start your own changemaker journey at www.blueroadseducation.org. We'd love it if you could subscribe to the Blue Roads Changemaker podcast and give us a rating on iTunes so that others can find us too. This also helps to elevate the voices of the amazing changemakers you're learning about in our series. Mm-hmm.